Hi everybody, Tony Lewis here once again with nothing to promote. Thanks for turning on and tuning in to this episode three. First of all, a big, big thank you for everybody for tuning in so far. Hope you've enjoyed Adam and then Claire. Hands up, it's probably been a bit more difficult than what I imagined it to be. But we're getting there and I feel I'm finding my rhythm, routine and just a little bit of regularity. This week brings us something totally different. My first footballing guest. Football's a massive passion for me and I've been lucky enough to meet some heroes, some enemies and some people I've given absolute dog's abuse to in the past. This interview came about when I sent our next guest a WhatsApp message a few weeks ago. Four hours later, I received a voice note apologising for the delayed response. That was due to the fact that he couldn't read or write and therefore I had to voice note back apologising that his wife wasn't around and relay what I'd sent him. The resulting voice notes back and forth indicated that this man had a great story to tell. Battles with some of the best players in the world, battles with bankruptcy and now battles with a brain tumour. A story of survival, instinct and destiny. Gratitude and redemption. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here is the one and only former Leeds, Liverpool and Scotland defender, Mr Dominic Matteo. Well, good morning, my mate. Uh, first and foremost, that's how we always begin. How are you <laughs> feeling? Yeah, well, good. Yeah, just uh, getting on with my day as I always do. I have a little bit of a routine that I follow. Um, I wish I'd started this routine a lot earlier because um, it's all about being healthy now and getting the goodness back into my body. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good at the minute. Um, I'm just enjoying doing a little bit of work, stuff like with yourself today. And this kind of stuff really helps me. It's, it's weird, just just like chatting with people. And, um, yeah, just it's part of my recovery. Because, obviously, without being able to read and write and I've lost a lot of them learning abilities, it's just uh, it's nice to be back talking to people and uh, and expressing how I'm feeling, yeah. Looking well, though, pal, so I've got to say that. Mm -hmm. uh, we've just seen the photo of uh, that you sent over. Of <laughs> you. Was that in Ibiza with, with the Spice Boys of kind of 95 and a certain pop star that we're familiar with, Mr Robbie Williams? Yeah, we were actually in Marbella for a change. I mean, Ibiza was my place. I love it. You know, I've always had a place in Ibiza over the years. Uh, but this one was in Marbella, and it was a brilliant trip. Robbie just decided to jump on last minute, and we had... Uh, Seven or eight days, I think it was in uh, in Marbella. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Can you imagine doing seven or eight days now in Marbella? Oh my gosh! Honestly, it was it was absolutely bonkers. I mean, just to give you a bit of an, I mean, me, Robbie, and Razor probably at one point we we just we just really got on it on the you know on the alcohol and just had a. Had, had a Robbie or Robbie Williams? Robbie Williams, that was. Rob, Robbie, Robbie was always involved as well. Robbie Fowler, that is. It was a, it was a, it was a uh, brutal group to knock about with. Let's be honest. If you see, if you go through them characters on there, you know we had the good, we had the good looking ones like Red Knapp, John Scales, Bill Bab, and all them lot. And then there was just me, Razor, Robbie Fowler, and a few of the other lads just kicking around. But on that picture, believe it or not, if you look closely, there's an absolute legend of football on there, and no one recognises it. They see this guy with a tash, and it was Ron Yates, the first ever. <laughs> Yeah, first ever Liverpool um, captain to lift the FA Cup as well, and I've you know um, Ron was a big part of my uh, upbringing as well with you know what he what he achieved, and he was actually at that point I think he was the scout 
which was quite funny actually as well because Big Ron's eyesight wasn't the best. So we always say, you know, how does Rob always get this job scouting? But yeah, characters, mate. And I'll never forget them, them, them few times we went to, you know, like trips with Robbie Williams actually came with us to, I think he came, came on a few. He came on a few. Yeah. Speaks about it in his, in his book, Feel. Yeah. I remember reading in it and he said that he lived the life of a premiership footballer at one point because he was in cahoots with yourself oh, yeah. and uh, Robbie Fowler and stuff. So he'd jump on European away days. Oh, yeah. But he was he was living life as a premiership football without playing football because obviously he had the financial capacity as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Is that, I, is that something you, you are familiar with? We, we will go in and out of your memory. Yeah. Your memory loss as yeah. well. Is Are they things that are still so familiar with you? Yeah, I mean... I love that. I mean, listen, we all remember the good times, don't we? doesn't matter how, how bad things have been for you. I, I And the fun we had on them kind of trips. You've got to remember, this is the 90s, you know, so lads nowadays and footballers nowadays, we, we didn't live their lives like that. We, we just had a ball. Listen, and it was kind of, football was obviously the most important thing, but we always found time to, uh, to, to enjoy ourselves. I mean, I suppose... Did we do it too much? Maybe at times, but I think in the off season you've got to be allowed in the off season to to let you let your hair down a little bit. Um, but I think for, I think for us that group and that the, the characters that was in that group were just absolutely bonkers as well. I mean, when we go back to people like Razor Ruddock, you know, everyone knows Razor. You know, he's done every show that's possibly left to do. There's nothing left for him, is there, to do? I can't say. No, he, he still seems to find another show available. It's just, yeah. yeah, it's just the group of people that we had then. And still to this day, you know, I spoke to, well, sent Jamie Redknapp a couple of messages lately. He's come back to me straight away, always asking how I'm doing. Him and his dad and his family sent me a message around Christmas time. So we've still got that link and that bond that we all we all got together as young lads. And I think all of us um, coming through that, that group, at all at different times as well, the one thing we still have is the solidarity that we stick together. And when you have problems, we talk about them. And, and, you know, I've had so many messages from the Liverpool group, the Leeds, all the groups that have supported me throughout what I've been going through. It's been absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I, I get, um, what's the word? I get a bit teary, teary-eyed talking about it because I didn't realise I had that kind of support in the football world. And is that support and that network and that sharing you spoke about just was that something that was evident back in your playing days or has it been something now, especially as we're speaking more and more about mental health and speaking out and it's okay not to be okay and things yeah. like that. Yeah. You wish, or you kind of alluded to before, you wish you had, now that you're in the regime and of a bit of a morning kind of workout. Yeah. Something to stimulate, imagine the body and your brain and you wish that, You'd done that back in the playing days. Yeah. Is the speaking out and something being able to share your concerns and you know, insecurities, yeah. I suppose, as well. Yeah. With your teammates. Do you wish that that was something you could have done back then? I think so. I think we're all if we're all honest about you know what what went on in them eras, I think we we all lived the life. There's no two ways about it. I always thought though that we did we did do it at the right times. People might disagree with that, but back then, you know, it was literally the way the way I seen it was we'd go out, we'd go out on a Saturday, maybe a Sunday as well for a couple of cheeky ones, 
And then that was kind of it. That's that was you know that was kind of you know unless you know it gets into that Monday Club, whatever it's called. But you know, <laughs> Monday Club's always famous, in it? especially even in Man United, they had a Monday Club. All these big clubs, you know, they had these these little separate sections going around, and they had them on really obscure days, like a Monday or a Tuesday. We're always nights yeah. out for some people because you know what it was. We liked it quiet, and we didn't want to be around too many people because exactly. you're used to it, aren't you? So it's just like you know what. We'll just get together with a group of people who want to be around. People will find you anyway. Let's just have a few drinks together. And there was one in, in Manchester called Mulligans, um, the old, um, I'm trying to think what it was called about back in the day, but there was, a, there was a one that all the Man United players used to go to. And sometimes we just we just thought, you know what, we'll go there. Before you know it, you've got a group from all different clubs all having a couple of beers in the same area. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that goes along with, football's quite tribal, isn't it? Yeah. I've got friends with Leeds United yeah. fans. You know, they're buzzing that you're on the show today. <laughs> and obviously, I'm a big Man United fan. But I think as you get older, you kind of learn to have respect for players and clubs and yeah. histories. But when you're a bit younger, you kind of have that. You know, there's a lot of resentment and hate there, you know, but that kind of interbreeds a little bit, which is not a nice thing, especially in this current climate. But I think as you get older, you get wiser to that. Yeah. You know, you can appreciate people, you know, that, I mean, I'd give you dog's abuse back in the day. Man. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's... But that's how it is. And I mean, and it is kind of something that interbreeds within families and within yeah. football families as well. And it's not always a nice thing. No. But you kind of had your teammates. You do get referred to as the Spice Boys back in the day. <laughs> but we don't mind giving you that. Kind of because, because of the cup of them suits. Did you have one of them suits? I've, got it. The... I've, still, I've still got it, you know. It's bizarre because I was so gutted not to be playing. I mean, I'm telling you now, when you get when you pick them that side, and obviously I found out I wasn't playing, I generally thought I had a chance of playing. So the night before the game, Roy Evans told me and he told Razor, and we, we roomed together. So imagine how dangerous that was. Both being told we're not was involved. A it, was, it, it, was a, it was a heavy night considering it was an FA Cup final uh, about to happen. No, it was, it, but it was. I think them moments um, sometimes define you a little bit as well because I was devastated not to be involved. Even though I was involved, I was in the squad and you travelled down. And back then as well, there was only, I think there was three subs back at that point. Um, and obviously two of them, one, one was always a goalkeeper. And you know you have two two outfield players. Uh, sorry, two two other players um, as well. So it, it was it was different times. Like nowadays, I definitely would have been involved um, because obviously there's about hundred subs now, isn't there? And, and the teams are so much bigger, and the squads. And you know, by, just for example, um, Tony, it's like when you think about the physios. Like the physios did like ten jobs. Like Roy Evans, could get Roy Evans, running around, God bless him. People like that, they did every single job at the club. And that, that never stopped, even when they became managers or system managers or whatever. They still did all the other jobs. They were still helping, you know, they were still doing massages. You know, and it was it was just that culture, especially at these clubs like you talk about, Liverpool, United, all these. They were, I bet, yeah, there was three or four people that kind of were in charge of everything. That would have been the masseur doing, it will be the physio and the masseur. You know, it's like nowadays, you know, they're in cotton wool a little bit now. And I, I understand that, but I prefer yeah. my era where we just all... We all got yeah, together. well, there's such, yeah. there's such assets now, aren't yeah, they, to the it. club? That's it. They invest in that asset. Yeah. And I think what you're kind of saying there is that you, the, a happy medium would mm. be a good little point. Yeah. I mean, now, 
<laughs> you notice with football, if you buy a football kit now, put a football, they're very unforgiving, aren't they? Yeah, they're just a bit. Back in the day, yeah, you, oh. you could wear one and you can carry it. Yeah, I mean, they're prime athletes now, and I suppose yeah. a lot of them have given up on the booze and don't do your so to speak Monday clubs. Yeah, yeah. which is a shame. I'm sure they have different kind of social activity. Yeah, but I think as as a fan looking on it. And whenever I've kind of integrated with footballers who I've yeah. kind of you know, looked up to, I'm respected, whether it be back then or now, you still kind of, you still look at them as a bit of a colossus, don't you? Yeah. You know, who were your footballing heroes growing up? Well, growing up, there's only one for me, um, King Kenny. Um, and, he, I, you know, it's, it's bizarre because I'm in a WhatsApp group at Liverpool and I still get starstruck looking in it when because the lads are so funny in that group as well. We're talking about some of the we're talking about the legends of the game all the way through, you know. And I know you're a Man United fan, but it doesn't matter. We there'll be the same WhatsApp group going on at Man U, just like we got we have at Liverpool. We've got a little one at Blackburn as well, to be honest. But we still kind of keep in touch. But I tell you what, it's brutal, especially the Liverpool one. I mean, when Kenny says something, we all have to just keep quiet because you know he's the boss and he's the king. Um, and then you, then you get a few of the others who probably know Kenny quite well. They'll chip in and have a little go back. But obviously, I'm not... it's one of them. One of them must be Fowler. Fowler, Fowler. I've never met Robbie. I'd love to kind of get him yeah. on here and have a chat. Yeah, because he's one player. Even how we kind of speak about the respect, I would have loved to have him at United. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Because a thought he he for me he was he was somebody who was born to play at that kind of level. And he did at Liverpool, like we go on about respect. Yeah. Yeah. I understand Liverpool's history. I've got yeah. lots of Liverpool friends. Yeah. And just, you know, I, I was kind of, he didn't give a fuck at some points no. as well, didn't he? No. But he also stood up when it was the Dockers and stuff like that. He, he was working class. Of course and you get that when you, when you hear him speak. Yeah. Um, and I think that as a working middle class guy myself, you kind of relate to people like that. Yeah. You know, that's that's why fans really buy into those kind of players, isn't it? That's why I think homegrown players always just get a little bit of extra kind of leeway than yeah. the imports because the, it, it just means a little bit more, doesn't it? Yeah, but you have to be good. <laughs> you know, I, I can be totally honest. You know, when me and Robbie were coming through at the same sort of time, Robbie was a superstar. I was the lad trying to get in the team and get the odd game when I could. So I think you, sometimes you, Robbie Fowler's career was mapped out for him already. He had he had the ability. He was going to be a superstar at some point. It just a matter when. I seen him that kid. I but I I knew him since we were what nine ten year old. So Robbie would have been nine. I'll have been ten. We started together at the academy at Liverpool. Um, and I tell you now that he he just scored gold. And I, I can't even explain when somebody's got that skill. You can't teach you what Robbie had. It was just, he hit it. He, 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 honestly, he could scuff one and it would just go in or it'd fly in the top corner. I'd be like, how have you done that? Because sometimes he generally, it was just so natural, his ability on the football, that we used to go, wow. And it's like, I always, when, I, when I, Robbie used to have a shot, I suppose it's like Tiger Woods hitting a golf ball, that noise it makes. Robbie had I this think. like, yeah, Robbie had this like little, I, could, I, can, I get goosebumps talking about it because, Robbie was, you know, one of my best pals and, you know, I still speak to Robbie quite, you know, quite frequently now, even though he's in India. But, yeah, he just had that knack and that that wand of a left foot at times. I mean, he could score. He could score all types of goals. But like you mentioned, Robbie was a character. He was from the city. He was a top stuff lad, dingle boy. 
you know, he's from one of the toughest parts of, of Liverpool to grow up in. But I tell you what, he embraced it. And he was that. Do you think that was to his, do you think that kind of went to, to his detriment a little bit because he felt that he had to be one of the, one of the lads and one of the locals and, he ends up as a little bit of a go between between the fan and the club, then doesn't he? He's, yeah. he's that kind of he's the dream, isn't he? Yeah. For every footballer growing up, it's like that's what I want to do. I want to play for my boyhood club. Yeah, you know, I want it to be number ten for Man United. Yeah, he wanted to be number nine for number seven, whatever for Liverpool. Yeah, do you think that kind of went against him because he he was a local lad and he was so kind of grounded and working class? Well, I think the one thing I realised, and you know, I didn't have the career that Robbie had. But we played at the same time together and we played, you know, we played at Leeds together as well, me and Robbie. So we've got, you know, good history, me and Robbie. We seem to follow people, we follow each other around a little bit, uh, not in a weird way, but you know, it's, yeah. it's just, I see, I, I love when the local players get through the ranks, you know, looking at now at Liverpool now, for example, Trent Alexander Arnold, you know, get, you know, he's like in Liverpool, he'll be, you know, you know, Robbie Fowler's nickname was God. That's what we used to call him. Um, which are probably not a nice thing for everyone to hear. Do you do you call him that though? Um, sometimes, yeah. Depends how many beers I had at that point. But yeah, God Growler. You know, he, he's just he, Growler was one of his nicknames as well. So I don't know what you know. Growler can be a lot of things, can't it? So yeah. But well, from what I see, I, I think he's doing a lot of growling over in India. Yeah, exactly. But I think the great thing about people like Robbie is, honestly, now I mean this. Robbie is, was a superstar, but you'd never known that in a million years. He had time for people. He always, he was always thinking about helping other people as well, you know, because I think when you are the superstar and you have that platform, and I know there wasn't social media when he first started and all that, so he didn't have that, but he still managed to get his thoughts across, um, you know, by doing interviews. And I remember myself doing the odd interview on Match of the Day because that's about all we kind of got in the 90s, you know, it was the odd couple of shows and I think with Robbie or myself, when you got the opportunity to speak, we're all a bit like, it's not like now we're just free-flowing chit-chatting. We're all a bit nervous, let's be honest, because we didn't, we weren't used to this environment. So I think that's been a big part of it. I've seen Robbie Fowler grow up massively over his career and obviously now he's into the management. I'm just gutted for him that he hasn't got a big job. He definitely deserves it for whatever reason. You know, I, people might say, oh, I'm biased because it's Robbie and he's one of your best mates. No, it's not. He's put. He's done as much. You know, all his badges. He's got all his qualifications. You know, we see all these other people walk into jobs regular, all the time. Why Robbie Fowler? Is it because he likes a laugh? I don't. I don't get it. I don't. I think that's because of moving back to me. Yeah. Initial point that he is a little bit too outspoken. Yeah. He doesn't tell the line. And be, do you think that's probably because he was so good as a kid? Yeah. You know that he's he's got that in him. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Listen, I, I don't. Hundred percent behind that. I don't know. I, I generally believe that the top players have, a, have the absolute about them, don't they? I mean, look at Steven Gerrard, another one, Carragher. They were all characters, and to be the best of the best. Yeah, all right. I know. I know. I'm naming people from Liverpool that I know and I've played with, and but I can only talk about my own experiences and how these people lived their life. They were obsessed. I mean, if you go from like talking about Robbie Fowler to Gerard and Carragher, obsession is not is the word. They were just obsessed in winning and winning for their clubs and getting the best out of everything. And Robbie, Robbie could kind of Robbie was more relaxed than that because Robbie just took everything in his stride. Where them other two players, like them two, were just completely obsessed. And and obviously the lifestyles 
and the times that they played were different to what Robbie did. But Robbie was, yeah, was yeah, sorry, Robbie was right up there with them though. And Robbie was. Bobby. It was a kind of crossover period, wasn't yes, it? It was listening to kind of Robbie's uh, podcast yeah. with Scalzi and stuff like that. I think the United, the United boys, kind of cut out those Monday clubs. <laughs> And stuff a little bit early, a few years before, and I think that eventually kind of caught on, didn't it? That it was apparent. Yeah. Who, who knew not going out and getting pissed two, three nights a week <laughs> would help you succeed at the very top elite sporting levels. Yeah, and I think there's there's a lot of people we need to thank for that in, in, the, in the world of football. I mean, Gerard Julio, who lost recently, was a pioneer in that. I think Graham Souness before that, even though. He's had a bit of stick. I generally believe he was the first. He'd been to Italy as a player and then he'd come in and become a manager and he was trying to make them good habits like just in everyone's DNA in Liverpool. And it just didn't work whether whether, whether some of the senior players didn't like it. Because you've got to remember, any of these big clubs, people don't like change, especially if you're a top player and you've eaten steak and chips all your life and all of a sudden <laughs> you've been, yeah, but all of a sudden you have to eat a bit of boiled chicken uh, and some vegetables. It was like, what? I've just got, you know, you know. I'm talking about the top player, like Rush Eve. You know, how can you tell uh, Ian Rush, you know, what to eat? But because, it, you know, we're talking about the best goal scorer of all time, probably, for, for Liverpool. So, you know, I always compare to that. And I think it was a tough period for everyone to, to get on board with that. And I think it, it was a difficult moment, for, even for me as a young player, you know, living, living a bit of a kind of, life where I think football is such a strange career that one, yeah. one minute you're playing football with you know for your club next thing you know I'm in South Africa meeting Nelson Mandela or meeting the Queen or meeting whoever you know this, this is the kind of things that you have to they just hit all of a sudden you know you're in Africa you know you're going for dinner with Nelson Mandela you're on safari with them then you know Leeds do something I'm at Leeds at that point and then the Queen's comes into the scenario and you're having lunch with the Queen. And you're just like, oh, how did I ever get into this position? But I think it's the same for a lot of footballers. I know that you just, to be fair, we just get on with it. But it's quite bizarre sometimes where they just throw you into that scenario and expect you to adapt quite young with not a lot of kind of background knowledge on you know how you should. I mean, even, for example, I, I always eat my fork in my right hand. You know, <laughs> and, you know, so if you're meeting the Queen, that's not ideal, is it? You know, but well, so there's certain things like that, etiquette, but I can't change the way I am. And that's what I'm trying to say. Oh. Like Robbie Fowler, he can't change being Robbie Fowler. He's an unbelievable talent, but also a good guy, shrewd businessman, and also very funny. And I just wish he gets the opportunity, like everyone else. I mean, I want people like Robbie Fowler to be managing top just clubs. But listen, this is about you. It's not necessarily about Robbie Fowler <laughs> and Robbie Williams. Um, it's about you, pal. So I, th I know that you were born in Scotland. Yeah. And then how old were you when you moved? Yeah, so I was, I was basically Florida. about four years old. So I lived in Scotland from, you know, being born until I was four years old. Then my dad got a job with Merseybus, so um, near Liverpool. So basically that that's where I kind of... Um, that's my movements from a young age. I always had, a, I mean, I've got photos. Do you have any memories of, of, of Scotland? Yeah, or? yeah, always had a, always, for, I was born with a Scotland shirt. Um, I was, you know, my dad was a huge Celtic fan. Um, so I was born growing up. I, I actually, I remember, in a, well, I obviously don't remember, but I was in a pram and my mum and dad were pushing me. It was three quarter time back then. And um, I think um, Queen of the South were playing, 
think they were playing Celtic actually. That's why my dad had gone to the game and um, they, they walked me in at three quarter time. Obviously, madness back then, you know, Celtic and stuff playing. But that obviously, Queen of the South is, is the hometown. It's in Dumfries where I'm where I was born. So it it's kind of actually well, I'm actually born in Glasgow, but Dumfries is where I grew up. So it's kind of I don't forget where I came from, and also I just think that my mum and dad. My dad was a successful businessman. He just didn't like the lifestyle. He didn't like, you know, it was it was stressful. Um, so my dad became a bus driver at the Mersey bus. And for a long period of time, we lived in Pontins in the holiday camp. Um, <laughs> at that point, you know, my dad had decided we didn't have a lot of money. So we, we just, me and my brother, it was it was alive at this point, obviously he passed away a few, days, a few years ago, my brother. And it's, we just, we had the best time ever because we're in Pontins. We've got an indoor swimming pool. You know, and it, all right, it wasn't the cleanest place in the world. No disrespect to Pontins, but it wasn't. But we had a great time. We loved it. And uh, I thought, I'm so lucky to be grown up in Pontins. And then eventually we got a little, you know, two-bed apartment or house or what it was in Southport. And I had a brilliant, like, I had a brilliant, like, brilliant time growing up around that people. And, and I think with Southport as well, you probably know Southport a little bit, Tony, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those places, Quite everyone thinks... Think about old people, don't they? So the pensioners go there for, for fish and chips or whatever. But it's a good place, good city. I was lucky. I enjoyed I mean, some good football people around there. You know, Dalgleish. All the, all the footballers moved to Southport back in that era. So, and I actually, we go back to Robbie Fowler's. Yeah. I I built his conservatory base right. twenty years ago. With uh, he lived um, on the estate there. I think is it the. Delta cars are the big taxi firm in Liverpool. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah, Delta was one of them. Yeah, Delta, and then Stefan Hancho as well. Yes, he lived. And it was like Jesus. Yeah, it's just weird that you can kind of go full circle and you know meet people upon yeah life's journey and they can kind of pop back up. Yeah, you know, as, as friends with a friend. Yes. Um. So, so you moved down to Southport. Yeah. Was football kind of an instant love for you? Yeah, straight away. Um, my dad always, my dad um, always wanted to me to play like Maldini. He always wanted me to play like Cesar Maldini though. because of, because of your Italian heritage. Yeah, yeah. And my dad, oh, my dad loved him as a player because Cesar Maldini, not Paolo, is obviously basically. Yeah. My dad said to me, he's not a big, tall player, but he's the best header of the ball you'll ever see. And I looked into looking, you know, I used to watch like 100 great sporting moments and watch these type of players. And my dad used to show me them in black and white. And I'd study these players, even though these were players who had unbelievable ability. But, you know, my dad taught me about Puskas, De Stefano, all these great players, Guento, the winger from Real Madrid, and there was Santa Maria. There were so many good players. And I, I generally am like sitting here now reminiscing about them great players because my memory's coming back on about a few of these players. I would never have got them names. I've just said to you a couple of, a couple of months back because everything's kind of getting a bit easier on the memory. But I, I'm so happy that I do remember them and do recall them. And then players that my dad talked about, we're talking about the greats. I remember one game he was telling about. It was it was Real Madrid, the Eintracht, Hampden Park. My dad was obviously at the game. He used to watch all the European games all around um, the world. And he said, watch this game back on 100 great one sporting moments. The, so the kids nowadays won't even know what that is. Black and white. I watched it back, and it was seven three to Real Madrid, and it was just incredible. You know, Puskas got three, De Stefano got four, seven three. They won. You know, it's just like, and I was like, wow. 
So, you know, everyone's always talking about Pele and Maradona and all these greats, which is rightly so. But I was brought up on some different players. I know everyone knows about Puskas and Di Stefano. And, you know, even even going back to, like, Johan Cruyff, you know, learning them skills. I actually met Johan Cruyff in Ibiza. He had a couple of places in Ibiza. <laughs> no, it's true. And um, I bumped into him. He didn't and, have Robbie Williams yeah, there, did yeah. he? Yeah, and Johan Cruyff. <laughs> they've got places that, you know, he had a lot of places in Ibiza, um, the Cruyff family. And... You know, just being around that type of person, it's special. You know, you get, I, I, I really love the history of football, mate. You know, obviously I've lost a lot of memory on some of it, but I tell you what, when it comes back, it feels so fulfilling because some of these players were, were the best for me. And, you know, even growing up with Alan Anson, players like that, people I idolised, you know, and, you know, still speak to every now and again, the Liverpool Christmas party, you know, we, got, we had to do a social distance kind of get together. But it was great just to be around Kenny, Alan Anson, Ronnie Wheel, and all these great players because they haven't changed. And that's what I love about people. You know, they don't care how many, you know, Champions Leagues have won, Premier Leagues have won. Um, they they just they're just funny lads and they're just normal. And I, sometimes I find it hard to to even talk around them a lot because I'm still a bit nervous because they are my idols, all them people. And yeah, it's great that now I'm in, in a position to hopefully get back around them people because they're the people that'll they'll move me forward definitely so what what was your first football kit then first football kit will have definitely been scotland definitely will yeah, def- like club kit. yeah club, what about you? club kits will probably would have been liverpool yeah it would have all been liverpool so you, so you did support liverpool growing up oh then, yeah yeah was... for sure yeah um, and I think Kenny. Because you're in red or blue, there aren't you? My brother, God bless him, he he was a massive Everton fan. He watched Everton all over the place. Um, my, and my dad was a huge Celtic fan. So, and then my dad, my dad ended up supporting Everton as well. He, he liked the Everton team from the eighties, you know, and they were a good side back then. You know, we had, they were. They were, and you know, I, I think for me, um, being around Liverpool anyway, we kind of had a bit of banter. Me and my dad to this day. You know, my dad's 82 now, but we can still have the banter about Everton. I was giving him some stick the other night um, about a game and stuff. And, you know, we still have that connection. And he knows, he knew when I played for Liverpool that he'd always look out for Liverpool. But when we weren't, we weren't playing, you know, against each other, um, he'd always, he'd always watch the Everton results. So he's kind of, it was kind of both sided for me down at times. But I always think that my dad was a football person without really playing at the highest level he understood the game and he still he still understands it to this day much, much better than some of the pundits out there now <laughs> <laughs> well there is that mate I mean there's some terrible ones isn't there but <laughs> listen this is a this is a positive pod yeah. so we'll stay stick to the positivity dude yeah and obviously you didn't Liverpool's not your only club no obviously went on to Leeds and that's kind of synonymous I think yeah for me as a player, looking back upon you, I'll remember, bizarrely remember you as a Leeds player rather than Liverpool yeah, player. Yeah. Maybe that's because, when did you go go then? At the end of 2000. 2000. Yeah. So, I mean, I would have been 20 then. Yeah. I mean, we had, yeah. United were at the absolute peak and then Leeds were kind of just coming up on the horizon a little bit, weren't yeah. they? Some big, yeah. big, big investments. Yeah. Which was yours, what fee was yours? I think I, I think it was about four and a bit million. 4.25 million, but it was going to obviously go up with games. Once he got 50 games, I think it went up to about 5 million. Um, it was still, you know, a lot of money back then, wasn't it? Yeah, I think. Well, the thing was for me at Liverpool, I had five years left on my contract. I just signed a new deal. I thought it was staying. And then 
Liverpool signed Christian Zieger and I was playing left back at the time. So I think with Christian Zieger, he was going to pick him ahead of me, which I, I wasn't accepting. I thought I was a better player than him. And I, I generally believed that. Um, so I decided to, you know, to speak to a few clubs. The first club we actually spoke to out of the mall was Leeds. And I thought, well, I know Leeds anyway. I've done a few nights out there. So, and I knew a few of the lads as well. Um, obviously, Gary Kelly was the same age as me. So I, I, and I knew, I knew how well Leeds were doing and on the up, up and coming side. We got to the UEFA, I think the UEFA Cup semi-final where they lost with, against Galatasaray in that sad time as well. Um, but yeah, I think I knew straight away that Leeds were up and coming. I also knew the characters of some of the players and some of the players we brought in. You talked about when I signed for me, big Mark Viduka, incredible player, you know, should have played, you know, could have played anywhere. Brilliant talent. What a talent. So laid back. But why would you say that somebody like that didn't kind of go on to... I mean, there was... He had quite a few hat-tricks, didn't he? Yeah. He got four against Liverpool. He scored yeah. fourth. Why, why do you think somebody like that doesn't really kind of kick on? Do you think that, again, is that fine line between being brilliant and being world-class? I, I think he was world-class. I just I just don't think he had the opportunity. I don't know why that one of the big clubs, like United, like Liverpool, all the clubs were mentioned didn't maybe go for a Viduka because he could do everything. And people think Mark Viduka was just a big, strong, um, you know, attacker. But he, he wasn't. He was he was like, he's like, tip, he'd done his tiptoes. He was like, like a little ballerina when he was on the ball. Very slight feet, you know, good feet, quick feet, brilliant to work with. He could do everything Viduka. And I, the reason I think he never went to them clubs because he was, he was an, an Aussie, as you know, um, but he was very relaxed and very happy. You know, he, he lived in, um, in, I think it was in North Leeds, so he's in a nice part of Leeds. And I think he was just happy with the clubs he was at. Um, maybe then, would you say that contentment? Yeah. Kind of, that before any kind of, you know, going at a career. I mean, listen, playing the Premier League is always going to be yeah. a great achievement for anybody. Being a professional footballer, let yeah. alone, you know, any kind of yeah. Premier League level. Do you think that some people are just content with that? I think that it's just. I think they are, but I think sometimes you know you've, you've got to knock down them doors, and your agent or you you know people are looking after you. If you want to get to that level, someone has to do that for you. Because sometimes I think with certain people, and I know for myself, I've been too nice at times where you need to be a bit more aggressive. Um, and that sounds weird me saying that, but it's not. I was I was I'm always I've always been a nice guy in my own opinion. I know we all like to say that. But so yeah. but sometimes that goes against you being nice. You know, I don't generally think it does because you know now I can see what you know people think actually think of me now because of what's happened with me. But in general that's me. I'm I'm very open. I'm an open book. Um and I, I like to discuss things. I've always been one of those people that People won't see they think this about me, but I, I I don't mind putting myself out there and and saying something that might not be so controversial. But I think there's enough people in the world sitting on the fence with certain stuff, and we need to get out talking about stuff. You know, I, I was talking um, recently, like a recruitment company that I'm going to be getting involved with, like Bain Recruitment. So you know, I'm going to go across, try and break barriers, and go across. And get people working with inside the football industry, or not even football industry, in any line of work, doesn't matter where you're from, use our platforms to help people, especially in football, because I think as well, you've got to, you've got to think, Tony, it's very like, 
I always think with the Muslim community as well, it's so big, yet there's no footballers, is there, playing? You know, it's not many. There's not many footballers. Well, there's, not, there's got to be a reason. I posted this morning that there's a lot of... There's a vast amount of diversity out there, isn't there? Yeah. But within that, that diversity seems to breed division, which is not a nice thing no. because division becomes hate and anger and frustration. And people seem to pick a part of yeah. people's colour skin, people's sexuality, people's just actual you know, yeah. gender. Yeah. We, we, people pick these things to pieces. Yeah. And that's not something that is a natural no. kind of sentiment from a hum humanity kind of, yeah. you know, yeah. view. something that's instilled and taught to us from miseducation, isn't it? Correct. And, I, I, and do, you think, yeah, do you think that now you're kind of saying that and you're wanting to get involved in that, is that something you might have missed out on if your life hadn't taken that, like, tragic tumour 18 months ago? Possibly, yeah. I'm just, I'm really, I'm, I am more of an open book than ever in my life. I cry all the time now, <laughs> which I'm not embarrassed to even do it. I could probably cry now talking. No. That's just what's it. My, it's not that bad. Man. I know. It's but not that No, no, you bet you. No, but it's like my empathy and stuff now is like through the roof. I always had empathy anyway, but now it's just like so emotional for me. And I think the one thing I want to try and do it, and you know, we talk about legacies in, in life. I want to help people. I think I've got an ability to help people. And when you've got a platform, or you've got this, or or you are this way, um, and you like to help, then do you know what? It's not a bad thing. Even you know, it's not it's not about financial gain for me. Yes, everyone likes to earn money, and we have to support our kids and our families. But it's not the main reason for me. The main reason for me, why what I want to, you know, do, is just to help. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's about the colour of someone's skin, or if it's someone who's going through cancer, or it's or just a kid who's who's in foot playing football and they just want some advice. Because yeah, I, I can I take a lot of boxes for them and kind of things, and I and I just want to help. And I think it's not a bad thing. And I think the more we all stick together and help each other out. It's, it, it makes the world a better place. And listen, we know there's going to be the odd idiot out there. We can't stop that. But in the main, if we're, we're all on the same page with this, I tell you what, won't life be a better place if we're all kind of, you know, sticking together and getting rid of all these idiots that are out there, you know, just sla slaughtering people on social media and all these... You know what? Forget them people. I, I, I have now... I'm at the point in my, career, in my life where I've probably got four or five friends. That's it. I used to have hundreds, you know, and people say you can choose them on one hand, and it's absolutely correct. And I think I, I, I remember coming up with something that, you know, um, the smaller the smaller the circle, the stronger the ring. Correct, correct. Yeah, I totally agree, and I I am certainly in that position now. I mean, at the moment, uh, Tony, I can't drive, and I'll never be able to drive again. Obviously, I lost eyesight, you know, through the tumor because the tumor was that big in my head when they took it out. I mean, to be honest, for me, they thought that I was going to be blind. And Jess, my wife, obviously had to um, be told that we're not sure if he's going to make it, but for starters, so we'll try and keep him alive. And then the second one was, he's probably going to be blind. Um, so at that point, I did survive the, you know, the operation. And then one eye came back. It's, it's weird. And then a little bit came back in my right eye. So, you know, instead of being blind, I was so thankful. I got one eye back and then 
obviously a little bit of eyesight in my right eye came back as well. So for me, you talk about things in, you know, all the things you might have achieved or the things you've done. That was the biggest achievement for me. Just get me able to see a little oh. bit again. And I've still got, you know, even talking to you now, it's a li- not blurred, but, you know, it's not what I'd, I'd want it to be. But do you know what? I spoke to a guy who was blind from the Blind Society and he went, what are you moaning for? Get on with it. I can't see anything. And do you know what that And this is the best I've ever looked for you. Yeah, it is, mate. You're right. But I tell you what, when he said that to me, my whole thing, everything changed for me. I went, do you know what? This kid is right. He's a lot younger than me as well. Um, And I spoke to him a few times. I've been trying to help his his brother out. He wants to play football. He does give him a bit of advice. But I I generally believe I needed to be told what's up with you, get on with it. I needed that conversation. footballers, you know, you kind of, Relate, you are a nice guy. You within the footballing world, there is a lot of snakes, there's a yeah. lot of stabbing, there's a lot of undercutting. Yeah. The agents at the top of the game taking a lot of money from players. Yeah. You see people being shit on from a great, great height. Yeah. Players on their own, you know, in their own space to try and survive once the game's gone. Yeah. I mean, you retire at 35, it's less than half of an average lifetime, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Do you, there is a certain mentality within the footballing world, isn't there? And it is dog eat dog. I, I know enough footballers who would, you know, they'd go, they'd sell their own kind of grandma to get get somewhere. Yeah. And I, you know, listen to a point, you need that kind of willing men, winning mentality to get to that peak of the peak of the footballing triangle. Let's say. Yes. But yeah. We relate to happy mediums. We relate to balance and empathy yeah as a generational thing do you think as we're moving on that kind of dog eat dog world is increasing or is is it kind of going away a little bit now that players are a little a little bit more accessible yeah and i think education you know you know is massive for everyone and you know we're all still learning aren't we about a lot of stuff and i think I think I think it. What I, what I, the way I look at it is, I think that all the all the clubs and all all the all the football world, because that's how I still look at it. I've got a responsibility to help. They have, you know, and I've I've always thought that because at the end of the day, sometimes even for like life saving operations, you know, people can't afford that sort of kind of stuff. So, you know, and I'm not saying that footballers are always the ones who have to do it. How many people that we don't even hear about give money to help people out to have an operation, life-saving or whatever? I've, I've, I've done that. You know, I've done that before in my life. I've helped people. And you know what? It's the best feeling ever, trying to help somebody. That, that is what life's about, helping somebody. Even if, it, even if you're doing it for free, helping somebody. It's the best, the most rewarding thing you'll ever get in your life. And, you know... I, I get so much out of that. I don't need any... If, if someone rings me and they've got a problem, I, I speak to people, you know, we've kind of got a little support group where a few of us are living with cancer. So we stick together. And if I've got something to say or one of the, one of the lads is having a bad day, we chat, we talk. And I think that's what we need to do full stop. We all need to talk about... Because, you know, at the end of the day, blokes especially don't like to talk about stuff. They don't. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fact. You know, with me, my illness happened so quick that I didn't have a chance to kind of do anything or recover or put things in place. My illness happened that quick for me 
it's scary how fast your life can change. And, you know, I'm thankful to be here now talking to you. Well, that's something that was out of your hands. It wasn't something, yeah. it was just a natural illness, wasn't it? It's not it something was. that was imposed because of your behaviour. Yeah. We can speak about no changing your regime yeah. from playing, no, you know, being retired and stuff like that. But listening in, mate, I think it's amazing to hear your gratitude at a second chance. Yeah. And we're oh, not talking yeah. about a second chance of playing. We're not no. talking about a second chance at a relationship. We're talking about a second chance at life. Correct. That is it. That is, that is, you, you, that is the one thing I'm, I am thankful to be alive. I really am. You know, I've had some bad news of late. You know, a couple of friends have had, you know, issues and they've lost, lost family members recently. And you know what? It absolutely breaks my heart. You know, and I, all I think about now is I've got three kids, two girls and a little boy, and I tell you what, and my wife and, and my mum and dad who are still alive and other people, you know, who are close to me, you know, it's kind of like, I, 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 my worry for me, my own worries that is I need to, I need to stand up and be stronger and be, be there for my, my, my kids and my wife for the next 40, 50 years, you know, with my, with my illness, they probably don't think that's possible, but they don't know me. Anyone who knows me, I'm the most optimistic person ever. I'm down on my luck in a minute, but you know what? I will bounce back, and at some point, I will beat this. I know I will, and that's the only way I can look at things now. I don't see when they say to you, oh, you've only got a certain amount of time or all that. A load of bollocks to me, that. I'm allowed to say that. It's bollocks. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're experts, and I understand that. But what I'm doing myself is... As when you get something like I have, you have to keep, take control of it. You can only control what's what you can control. The rest of it is down to fate and down to the hospital and the surgeons, you know, looking after you and also living a good life. So that's all I can take control control of. And the, the other things I can't, you can't worry about it too much. You have to be honest all the time. Me, me and Jess, obviously the wife, you know, you know the wife, and now obviously you work with. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, but you know, the, the genuine thing is, Tony, it's like if it wasn't for Jess, there's, there's no two ways about it. I wouldn't be here today. And it's the way she's learned so much about the way I have to live my life now, she's had to buy into that as well. I think with your illness, that's what it is, right? Um, do you think that that's kind of brought you even closer together as a family? Yeah, no two ways about it. No, we, we've always been close anyway. Um, and, you know, obviously... I think I think the one thing because Jess is because always, sorry Don because you don't you can't have regrets can you about no you know having we you, you were married before were you married yes, before I was yeah 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 you can't have regrets about that because you got two beautiful yeah, girls from exactly. it can you? exactly and it, it's all hypothetical kind of saying well I wish I'd met Jess earlier yeah. or yeah because you won't have your girls then no. so that's life and you know yeah. that's that's kind of yeah. you don't wish that because that wouldn't have been part of your life and that no. wouldn't have been your journey no. you speak about yeah. fate and destiny yeah you seem to be concentrating so much on things that you can control and i think yes. that's a true inspiration to a lot of people i mean there'll be football fans listening to this there'll be people yeah. who are just interested in a chat you yeah. know in the fact that apart from the football your mentality we alluded to a footballer's mentality being quite negative at point and dog eat dog but a footballer's mentality, you never, ever go out there to lose, do you? No. You know, no. that, and that is what the real elite performers, anybody who kind of goes out to play football and wants to win. I've never been lucky enough to do that level. I would yeah. love to be a footballer, don't get me wrong, but yeah. I wasn't yeah. good enough. That's 
you know, I've, I've no regrets about that. But that football mentality to go out and win, that's probably what's kind of pushing you through and you're pulling the positives from that personality now. Is that right? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. The thing is about me, I've had a life coach for over a year now, uh, Rob, and um, he's based in Leeds. And he, I think, you know, as a bloke, you go, oh, life coach, what's all that about? Load of bollocks, life coach. Tell you what, best thing I ever did. Because they tell you how it is, you know, we can share anything, we chat. And we talk completely random. You know, he's a Man U fan as well. He's like, you, they're everywhere. You're everywhere, you Man U fans. So, in yeah. a way, it's worked well, that, because I have a bit of banter with him. Then he'll come back with summer. And, you know, obviously, with my clubs, Leeds and Liverpool, <laughs> you know, there's going to be a bit of banter flying around. And we have that. And then also, we have the serious side of it where we can we can get up, we can talk about things that are a problem for me and what I am thinking about, how I can improve it. And I'm always, I mean... I think at some point I'm hope, I'm hopeful that I can not say become a counsellor because I don't think Don Matteo would be the, the, the ideal counsellor. But in a way, I don't know what, what's around the corner for me because I, when I speak with people, they always, like even my friends who, who've got certain problems going on in their lives, they always say, I always feel better when I've had a chat with you. And I don't know if that's because I am quite honest and I will tell, I tell my friends straight how I feel about what they're up to. Um, and I was never any good at that. I just died away. But now, because of what's happened, I say to people, talk openly about what your problems are. Because if you don't, you can't solve it. So for me, like I've just had a clear scan um, a couple of weeks ago. So that's that's me fourth or my third clear scan. Because the first. So you got you got diagnosed with you know, and that was pretty drastic and pretty yeah. sensatious in the November nineteenth. Yeah. You went in because you had a headache. Yeah. You have a scan, they find this big fuck-off tumour on your yeah. brain. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly, it's a, it's a life-and-death situation. We were talking yeah. within a matter of hours, right? Oh, yeah. It's something, and that is a life-changing kind of thing. So that was November 19. Um, you then, was it just six months later that you rang the bell? Yeah. Um, it was kind of... Yeah, it was about six months. I mean, I was, I was let's be honest, I was fortunate to finish my treatment because of what with COVID and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I finished my treatment in March. So literally one of the lucky ones who actually got got a chance to finish the you know the treatment. I have to, I, you know, I had to have radiotherapy and a really high dose of it because chemotherapy doesn't work for me because of my because of my brain illness, the illness I have in my brain. So again, it limits what can do so you know i can't have chemo doesn't work for me radio radiotherapy i mean thankfully I, it's not something yeah. i've experienced but yeah. when i've spoke to friends who've gone through similar they've said that it's like you know the worst hangover ever yeah 24 so it was was it like flying home from seven or eight days in marbella yeah. i'm telling you it's like i think what i what i took out of the, the radiotherapy because you're all in different sections around the hospital um, but you're all kind of in for probably for cancer um, at that point. And, and we, I always try to make it a bit not not a laugh because it's not funny what we took. But you have to somehow lighthearted. Yeah, you have to. Otherwise, you're all sat there, and it's just it's just not a good environment. But I think everyone in there tried to do the bit on that. And you know, the great thing about what I seen from that as well, there was usually, and I found it difficult when I used to see some some people, and especially women or or, or younger people or or older people just being on their own, you know, having to go through the treatment on their own. I found that really hard 
And I really because he doesn't cancer doesn't have a prejudice, no, does it? it whether you're no, a professional doesn't. footballer, no. whether you're you know, obviously it affects older people usually, yeah, rather than younger people. But I mean, it's important to kind of emphasize that if it's got you, it's got you. It's how yeah. you approach it. I mean, yeah. I think the, the big one at the moment is like Sarah Harding from yes. Girls Allows. Yeah, that's saying, right. Yeah. You don't expect to see another Christmas. And yeah. her story is equally, regardless of her status as celebrity or pop star, it doesn't yeah. really matter that no. it's it's got no prejudice, no. whether it, if she's like 39. Yeah. If it's a 39-year-old woman, that's the, that's the tragedy in itself, isn't it? It is. It really is. And, you know, that's why, in a way, I don't want to know what's, what's, you know, how long. When people say to you, how long have you got? And I suppose Sarah's going through a similar thing. I, I just approached it. I don't need to know. Um, I'm going to go out. I'm going to battle on, you know, for as long as I possibly can. I mean, I'm hoping I'm still here with you, Tony, having a conversation in 40 years' time. Like, you know, two old blokes having a chat. I'm just that's... hoping you've got another half hour in you, pal. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's true. I, I'm generally thinking, I, I try and think, even though I know the odds are stacked the other way, I think you are, I think the opposite, because I think that's the only way you can, you can kind of get that strength from it within. within. And the strength within, within, and I understand what, you know, in a way is what Sarah's going through. It's so difficult. And day every day with, with living with it, it's, it's, it's different and it's hard. Some days are better than others. And I know that's like life anyway. But of course, I think for me, it's so tough because, you know, it's not just, you know, like you mentioned, it doesn't matter who you are. It'll, it'll, it comes for everyone if it wants to. You know, one in two people have cancer. Or, or, or going to get diagnosed with it, and that's that's brutal statistics. Because I remember years ago, it was one in four, and now it's one in two. You know, and that's you know, me and you are sat here now chatting. I'm living with it. You know, you're fine, and thank God you are. But the thing is, with me, I, I I've got my head round what I need to get round as best I can. And don't get me wrong, acceptance acceptance is a huge part of recovery, as I suppose. Yeah, a lot. My, my life coach calls it allowing, so allow, just let things, you know, especially with my food, because I'm strict. I mean, I, I, I was, you know, I'd go and have a Big Mac, no problem. But nowadays, it's I'm proper about, because my oncologist has said to me, for you to get a longer, better life, your diet will define you. So maybe I've taken it too far, because I'll just I'll just do everything I can to keep well. Um, but don't get me wrong. Has it become, has it become an obsession a little bit as well? I try not to see it as an obsession, but it's massive. It's massive now that I eat well, I live a better life. And listen, the other side of it is do allow. If you want to have a beer, have a beer. If you want to have a coffee, have a coffee. Because at the end of the balance. day, it's balance. It's balance. Again. But also, also, sorry, everything changes. Like at one point, they were telling me coffee wasn't good. I'm sat having a coffee now because apparently it's all right for you now. So, you know, things are changing and evolving all the time. So well, as long as you're not, for me, if I'm not having 25 pints and going on a night out, you know, that'll never happen for me again. And don't get me wrong, I have days where... I'm- so basically, you, you just need to stay away from Razor Ruddock. <laughs> he knows that. Apparently, I was apparently when I was in hospital, and obviously I was all over the cap at this point, I was ringing him and his missus at like four or five in the morning because I, I, I had no concept of what time it was. And he's like, you know, imagine what Razor's like waking him up at that time of the morning. He's not the prettiest... Um, and it's like, 
what do you want? It's not like, how are you? What do you want? Leave me alone. Yeah. I'm going to bed. But now, nah, to be fair, that I think that side of my recovery was massive, just being around certain people. I mean, for, for instance, Eddie Gray, Lee's legend, first person through the door to come and see me. Next person, David O'Leary, my old manager. And that they kept coming to see me as well. It wasn't like it was a one-off. Then, you know, out of the blue, Steve McManaman, you know, Champions League winning with Real Madrid, won a lot of trophies in Liverpool, legend, still works in the game as a pundit. Brilliant guy, came to see me. You know, I wasn't expecting that. You know, stuff like that. For me, I just think I'm... You must take that as a compliment, mate, that yeah. people have that respect and that time. Yeah. You know, it's very easy now to send a text or, yeah. you know, some people can't even do that. But to, to give up the time to come and physically see you and encourage you, I think you should take that on board. I do. Of just how you kind of yeah. said people have taken advantage of your good guy nature. Yeah. But that's also kind of come back to to pay you in positivity as well. Yeah. No, you know, I, I think for me, in that hospital, you I was in for a month and you have to, like you say, you have to have a bit of, you have to be lighthearted at times. But it was, it was because obviously I'm in, in Leeds in the hospital and it's like the people are in there for all kinds of different things, you know, and, and you, you can't joke about it because it's very serious. But what, I was just, I went, I went for a cup of tea and I thought, I have to get out of the, just being in that ward environment obviously you can't at certain points you've got to stay in there and they won't let you go anyway because of a brain injury you've got to be you know they can't just leave you to your home devices so I used to sit up late with the nurses and have a cup of tea or a coffee and somebody made me a brew at like random time because I was on so much medication um for the steroids to keep the swelling down that there's no way in the world no matter how hard you want to sleep you can't sleep the steroids that they were pumping into me was I mean I don't know it was I was basically awake for a month, and that is tough. But it's just the way it is. I have to have these steroids. But for example, there was a guy. <laughs> there's one guy handcuffed next to me. Don't know what he'd been up to. And then I looked across <laughs> the other bed. He was handcuffed. I was like, "What's going?" It wasn't on Robbie Fowler, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Robbie. It wasn't Razor. I can rule them two out. But it was just two characters. They obviously been up to no good. Been arrested, and uh, you know, obviously had serious head injuries because that's what sometimes that's what you got to remember. You know, when you're in hospital. You know, people are in for obviously brain injuries like I was, but these people are obviously, some people I was speaking to were, had been, I spoke to one kid, he was, he was only, he was only young, he'd been attacked in the street, um, I think he was, he was doing some, I can't think what he was, I think he was working for like, I think he was like a casino or something at that point, and he got attacked and, and got beat up, and he, he's, he's been left now with a, with a bad injury, knowing he's got a brain injury. You know, and that was, from, you know, that's how easy and how quick it can happen. So I'm just trying to give you an example of how your life can change so fast. And for me... Fine margins, oh, isn't it? It is fine margins. I mean, Tony, totally, for example, I was meant to be flying to Liverpool with Liverpool, all the all, all the old players, to Singapore. Um, and then I got I managed to get the scan moved forward. So if I, if basically, if I'd gone to Singapore and not went had the scan early, I wouldn't be here. There's no two ways about it because... I would have probably died in the air because that's when it happened. So yeah, I'm. Be- there's, there's been a lot of things that have kept me alive. People say, and you're always so good in the air as a player. <laughs> I wish, but you know the thing is, it's like you know. Then now people are talking about has that had an effect on people's you know illnesses. You know, a lot there's a lot being talked about with dementia at the moment. You know, and people are talking about that side of it as well. So has it had a part in that? I don't know. Is the, is the honest answer. Um, but I think there's a lot of stuff we need to investigate. 
uh, with with certain things. But I think for me, like when I was in hospital, I had so much support from the nurses, and that's the truth. And people might say, "Oh, the nurses and all this," but I, it, they were so amazing. You know, at three in the morning, when you've got no one to speak to, and someone just says to you, they hold your hand and say, "Do you want a cup of tea, love? How are you feeling? You okay?" You you can't buy that. You can't. That is just like the you know, it's, with everything that's happened. Yeah, it, I mean, I know it's it's unrealistic, but it's those people who deserve the Premiership wages at the moment, isn't it? Listen, no, I am I am banging them doors down. I will do as well at some point to try and get them what they deserve. They never will. That's the sad thing about it. That's life, though. Yeah, it is life. That's the entertainment game, and that's it is. the sports industry. Yeah. But and I want to just go go back that before we wrap it up, bud, yeah. because you did go to Leeds and. I would be absolutely mullered by my yeah. Yorkshire friends if we didn't touch up on uh, that goal at the San Siro. Which oh. was, was that your finest moment as a footballer, or was it making your debut for Liverpool, or was it something else that stands out? I think for me, just putting that. I think the two clubs that I really care about. Everyone knows it's Liverpool Leeds. And I care for them. They're the first two results you look at every Saturday, No right? two ways about it. You know, I work, I've got a column in the, the Evening Post in Leeds, and I'm very proud of that. I work with, I work with a company, Data Facilities, and you know, they, they've really helped me with that. And the guy that I do it with, he was the first choice. You know, I didn't even look into the finance side of it. This guy was just a lovely guy. He'd been through a tough time himself with his dad. So I thought, you know what? This fit, it works for me. Um, so I, I think, I think with, with me at the minute, I I always like leads are massive for me, and obviously I'm hoping at some point to get back working with, within the, the industry at Leeds because it makes sense. I've got a lot to give. Um, if people don't know that I have, I'm getting better and stronger every day. So you know I've been doing some stuff with uh, New York's Cancer, which Leeds are a partner with as well. So I'm you know I'm enjoying that partnership with them because at the end of the day the research has stopped a little bit and it's slowed down, and we need to get. Banging, that, banging the drum about that again. But for me, my time at Leeds, you know, away from Liverpool, was was amazing. You know, not just scoring in the San Siro. I got two Champions League goals. I can't believe it. God, yeah, in that one season. Yeah, you scored against, was it against um, the Skittas? Yeah, yeah, you know, and that, it's just, you know, I think that was 6-0 we beat them. So it just shows you what a good side we were at that point. Oh, so, you kind of said that your dad wanted you to be like, Maldini, and then you go to Milan yeah. and, and play at the San Siro, which is a fortress of a football stadium, oh. isn't it? Yeah. To score that goal that, you know, as, as a Man United fan, didn't mean anything to me back then. Yeah. No chatting yeah. to you yeah. as a friend. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm, it's great that you scored that. That's yeah. how you kind of moved on about the respect within the game. Yeah. Is it just kind of a blink? I remember Mark Hughes saying, who was my idol, mm. that he just when you score that goal, you the ball hits the net and you close your eyes and it's just a split second of euphoria. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like you're just there on your own. Maybe it's yeah. like walking out onto a stage and, you know, just that bang. It's just that, you know, release. Yeah. Was it just one of them things? I mean, you probably could never imagine a, that it'd still be being spoke about all these years after. I can't. And to be honest, when I'm at Leeds now, the, the amazing thing is the fans still sing that song. Don Matteo yeah, yeah. scored it. The effing great goal in the sunset, you know, and you can swear on this podcast, yeah. <laughs> man. But you know, <laughs> the, I mean, the number of times after I do that, that you know, I talk about that for people. Some of some fans from that era, they say that was the best night of their lives. 
You know, and I know, well, you know, and it's it's a, it's a difficult one. I mean, some like some fan was telling me that he broke his leg in the San Siro. One of a guy done something, he broke his arm. There was all these kind of things happening, but all because of you. <laughs> well, not the guy. I think that night was you'll never ever see that in football again. The celebrations. So we're all on the pitch. You know, sing songs are going off all over the place. Gary Kelly, you've got Lee Bowyer, who was a huge part of the league's success at that point. Just having a sing song with the fans, we've got like, I mean, they said, I don't know, 7,000. There was, I think there was probably four times that in that stadium because there were everyone, if you, everyone wanted a ticket for that game from Leeds. And it was a massive, I mean, if you think as well, I was thinking, I was even going back looking at some old like uh, ticket stubs, you know, and stuff. And I was looking at even the semi-final when we we actually lost in that game to Valencia. It was fifteen quid for a Champions League semi-final. But, you know, that's only twenty odd years ago, twenty-one years ago. So it's not that long. Fifteen quid? How cheap is that to watch a Champions League semi-final? It costs you a thousand nowadays to get a dodgy ticket for that. But it, <laughs> for me, for me, like them nights, I I just I love talking about that era because. It was we were not expected to win anything. Let's be honest, and we had the group of deaf as they talked about the players we had to play against and the team we had to play against. We embraced it. We loved it. Yes, we had a good time after we got good results. We also had good time after we had bad results. But it was just bizarre that scenario. I mean, I had I because obviously I was living in a hotel at that point in Leeds, and like we played Real Madrid, for example, and Steve McManaman night before the game, you know, come come and have a couple of pints before the game, and I was like. What a couple of beers, and then, but that's just the way that in like them countries, it's very relaxed. They have a few beers. They went shopping in flannels, I think, the day the day of the game. You know, they went out and played off the field. You know, Mackie was telling me all this, and then afterwards, I was out with all the Real Madrid players for a, for a bit of a night out. And I tell you what, you wouldn't expect it, but they, they were drinking more than me. I was like, this is a, this is a surprise. You know, all these so achievement that yeah, it's all these top lads, and uh, I think. What I got, what I got out of it was, you know, they play with no fear. They play like with the enjoyment, and that's what I try to then bring into myself because it's like we all play and we're under pressure. These guys didn't have any pressure; they just went out and played. I mean, that night, just just because I remember something there, I actually got to meet Huskis and De Stefano in the flesh. They were in Alton Hall in Le- in Rothwell near Leeds. And they were obviously at that point working for the club as maybe ambassadors or whatever they were doing. And I, I just seen these two old guys just smoking massive cigars with a nice whiskey or whatever they're drinking. And I looked over, I said to Macca, Stevie Macca went, that can't be Huskis and just anyone. Yeah. And I, I had to go over. I've got the autographs for my dad, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. just like, I'm never going to get this opportunity again to sit. Not, I didn't really sit down and have a proper chat with them. I just got the autographs and just like told all. Because we're talking about two of the best players ever in the game, and they never really get talked about, do they? Puskas and Stefano. People from no. people from your era probably won't even know who they are. Too yeah. far behind you. Yeah, mate. but Don't you worry. know, just little nights like that, I'll never forget them. And I think my mate, my mate actually robbed. I think it's <laughs> my mate robbed Claude McAuley's trainers, and I was like, so Mac knocks on my door the next day when they go, they go on the on the way back to going to Madrid to get on the plane. He said, Macca, Macca said to me, have you got, you got someone, you got the like, someone taking um, Claude's trainers? I went, I've not got him. Why would I take his trainers? But anyway, one of my mates holds up and goes, I've got him. I took him. I was like, why are you going to rob somebody's old trainers? Why do you not? 
Leeds were just on the verge, weren't you? Just going to that next level. Why do you think they never kind of just tipped over? And they, well, yeah. they tipped the wrong way eventually, didn't they? I think financial reasons was obviously a problem. I think we 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 lived the dream a little bit, and it went wrong. Let's, let's be brutally honest about it. Um, people, might- you know, that Leeds still owe me fourteen hundred pounds for a Christmas party performed on. Oh, really? <laughs> Tell you what, you've gone up in price as well, haven't you? Nowadays, a lot more than that. Well, that, that was that was the full full band then. <laughs> well, no, I, so, yeah, my mates would be like, oh, "Here he goes again, going about the lead." <laughs> Every time I drive past Ellen Road, it's fourteen hundred quid, and it, the the check arrived um, on the day that they went bumped. So it was the Christmas, the year, so obviously December. It's when Dennis Wise was in charge. Yes, Gary Kelly was still there. Yeah, because a few months after Gary Kelly got in touch. To ask me to perform at his retirement party, I said, "How about you pay for the Christmas do first? <laughs> with Ken Bates there, and um, the check come back. To, uh, the check got sent to me. I put it in the bank on the day that it went bump, so it bounced all the way oh. back. And I still got the check upstairs. Jeez, honestly, I mean, the th- the, I think the thing is, I'm, I mean, I remember that era, and I'm, I'm sorry you never got paid, but at that, <laughs> no, at that point myself, I had to give up a lot of money myself that that, that time, which you know wasn't the end of the world." Because I was doing all right at that point, so you know, I didn't mind when we had to do deferrals and give this. We're doing the right. I thought we we're doing the right thing, but because I became a creditor myself, I I I was I think it was KPMG kind of took over the yeah liquidation stuff. I remember getting the thing. I think the guy who was owed the most was uh, Neil Sullivan, yeah, goalkeeper. Yeah, probably was. He'd have been one of the big earners, Sully, at that point. Yeah, I think I think that at that point we were all on good contracts. That was one of the problems and. Maybe too much too soon. The old, that, yeah, that, too much too soon. That old, exactly. that, that old saying, isn't it? In any walk of life, you know, did we get too much too soon? I don't, when you compare us to other clubs, though, financially, I don't think there was that much difference. You know, you know that Man United and Liverpool were always the best players of them eras because there's no, if you're at, at them clubs, then it was Chelsea and the Abramovich. You know, it, it was in eras, wasn't it? And obviously it became about money in the end. You know, back in when Man United were winning stuff and when Liverpool were winning stuff, that's the club you wanted to sign for. I think that's changed a little bit, hasn't it? Nowadays, people will play anywhere and get paid a fortune. They're not bothered. I mean, because the money's so big, I think it's giving other clubs the opportunity to sustain sustain that kind of playing talent that they don't have to sell now because the money's so much, isn't it? It is. It's, you don't have to have to be a selling club. Yeah, I mean, it's like I suppose at the moment the one player you can look at and why is you know it's Harry Kane. You go, could he have went? Of course, he could have went somewhere. There's no two ways about it. But you know, maybe he's one of those lads like a Gerard or a Carragher who wants to just stay at one team and play for them. I hope Harry Kane actually does that. I think he'll achieve more by leaving. You know, that's yeah. the truth. But um, maybe he doesn't want to. Maybe he's happy where he lives. Maybe he's happy with his life. You know, for me now living in Yorkshire, where I live. I'm happy. The wife's happy. Happy wife, happy life. You know that, Tony. That's what it's kind of like, isn't it? We all have to buy into that. Yeah, we all have to buy into it, don't we? And But I think, I, I generally believe that for me nowadays, the way I look at the football aspects is, I was working last night for a company abroad in Malaysia, which I do a lot of work for. I loved it. And I was, well, I was working with Andros Townsend, who's still playing. What a lovely guy. But what he's done, he, I think he's thinking about his future, maybe being a pundit further down the line. So he's doing it early. He's doing the crossover a little bit earlier, isn't he? That's what you've got to do. I missed that, and I should have done that. Um, whether it's going into, you know, a different business or going into the football world, that's where I should have went originally. But I didn't. In hindsight, is a great thing. But now I've got to readjust 
and now I'm doing quite a bit of it and I'm getting asked to do stuff. I'm actually doing, I'm doing adverts for insurance companies and stuff and all this at the moment. I'm trying to expand my life. That's going to help me and help my family, help the kids out, help us all because that's one thing that is not guaranteed is work and money coming in. And we all need to, we all need it. You know yourself, Tony, you've had a tough year with not working and I can't imagine how hard it's been. But luckily, sometimes we have a bit put away in your pension or you've got a bit of money to fall back on. But we're, we're maybe sometimes, even though I've been bankrupt myself and I've had issues with finances, but now I'm finding another way of reframing it, as we've talked about. And I, I look, I don't see it as a negative now. I think, well, right, that's the situation, right? How can I make that better? And it's finding a solution for the problems. And that's what I do. You know, I, I, I can openly say I've had issues with, with financial stuff. I wasn't very good at it. You know, I wasn't, you know, I got people in to help me do that and it didn't work that way. I wish it had. Yeah. I wouldn't be talking about being bankrupt. But, you know, I don't mind talking about it. People have got this stigma. Oh, I don't want to talk about being, do you know what? Just own it. Own it and get on with it because that's what I did. I walked into Halifax Crown Court and made myself bankrupt because I was thinking about the future for my family, not just being selfish, selfish Dom. I had to think about everyone in that position. You know, and that was through my wife now, the ex-wife, my kids. Everything was had to be thought about in that. And it wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing, believe me. It was, it was tough to do that. And it takes character to walk in and admit that. And that's what I'm getting better at now is, you know what? I think somebody, I saw somebody kind of address it as, it's, I think it's whether you're filling out your tax return or something you're not looking forward to in the day. Yeah. And obviously, addressing yourself as bankrupt, that's a massive kind of life. Yeah. Life circumstance you don't want to be in. No. But I think I've seen people refer it to squashing the frog. Yeah. As soon as you squash that frog, your life can move on then, can't it's, it? It's correct. I get, totally get it. And that's what I did. And I, I took the bull by the horns myself. No one knew I went to that. I went to the, the Crown Court at Halifax, which I think is closed down now. Um, but I walked in myself. There were about four people in the room. Because um, I obviously didn't. I just walked in and said, right, this is what I need to do. And within... 10 minutes, I've done it. <laughs> and you know what? I kind of felt... Did you feel like a, did you feel like a weight had gone off your shoulder, though? Would yeah. you like, yeah. right, now we can move on to the next stage? For sure. And, you know, I, I think... I don't even, Nowadays, I don't even let it bother me. Doesn't, it doesn't... It's not even in my... I don't even think about it. Yes, I know finance is important to everyone. But for me, I'd rather be alive and, like, chatting to you now. That's more important to me now than money. Yes, we know we've all got problems with, everyone's got an issue with you want to do the best for your kids, you want to do your best for your family. But my my things have changed, my perspective has massively changed on that now. And all I want to do now is 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 help, yes, help my family, help everyone. Um, and that sounds like oh, a bit cliche, but generally I don't really care about anything else. I don't care about money. And that might sound ridiculous, but I don't, it's, it's, I don't, I'm not bothered by it. I've had it, I've lost it. I'll get it back again. I know I will, because that's the person I am. And I won't do it for myself. I'll do it for everyone else. That's it. Simple as that. Well, mate, I've got to say, um, because we're not the closest of friends, you know, we're in com communication every now yeah. and then. I was, I was a little bit worried about this because I didn't know how it'd go. I didn't know what kind of mindset you'd be in. Yeah. And I didn't know how free, how freely this conversation would flow. Um, I've got to say that I've thoroughly enjoyed it. You've been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being such an open book. Yeah. I want to finish it off by saying, 
that you've had some great experiences and great achievements in your life. You've made your debut and played football at the highest level for your boyhood club. Yeah. You scored that goal <laughs> at the San Siro, or that fucking goal, I'll say it, that fucking goal at the San Siro. <laughs> and that will be remembered in Leeds folklore. But I think your greatest achievement is just surviving. And I just want to say you are an inspiration, mate, just listening to you. And I, th- I hope this inspires and moves people on to the next level of that empathy, that respect, and just being a great, great guy. And I just can't thank you enough for that. Absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. And like I said to, to other people, this this is help, helping me with my recovery. So I really appreciate you giving up your time as well and I mean, having this chat. And like you say, I think we'll bond a good, we'll have a good friendship, me and you, Tony. There's no two ways about it. When we can get for the beer, let's do it, mate. Definitely. Top man, you're going to need two hands then. I will. Don't okay. worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, top man, Cheers. we will see you soon. Cheers, pal. Take care of yourself. Cheers, Tom. And there you have it, Mr. Dominic Matteo. What an absolute inspiration. Who would have thought 20 years ago, when I was getting dogs abuse, playing for Leeds and Liverpool, two of United's biggest arch rivals, that here we'd be discussing potential beers and best mates. But all jokes aside, I hope that Dom, his positivity, his gratitude and his reflection inspires people, not just in the world of football, but as cancer sufferers and cancer survivors. A big, big shout out to you people out there. We're with you on this. The joy of the podcast is that you can listen at any time of the day. So maybe it's a good morning, afternoon, or even a good evening. But wherever you are, I just hope it's a good day. And just remember that. If you are enjoying the pod and the chat and the content and the guests, then please subscribe and share and spread the word through fellow-minded friends and family. Here's to next week with somebody totally different, something new with nothing to promote. In the meantime, take care, be lucky, and be thankful. See you soon.